just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. I'm Johnny Ball. This is Speaking Influence, and this is the show where we delve into the world of influence and persuasion to look at the knowledge, skills, experience, stories, and secrets of some of the world's best influence and persuasion experts. Each week, having in-depth conversations with people who are out in the world and often teaching tools of ethical influence and persuasion. From time to time, we even take a look at the less ethical side of influence and persuasion too. Guests on the show have ranged from successful authors and entrepreneurs to secret service members, psychologists, marketing and branding experts, even the occasional professional comedian or world champion in public speaking. We've had professional storytellers, former cult members, neuroscientists, voice coaches, professional stylists, political speechwriters and public speaking experts. Each show takes our guests' knowledge and experience to turn it into actionable information that you can use to build a deeper understanding of how the world of influence and persuasion works, enabling each of us to become better users of ethical influence and persuasion in life and in business, which hopefully leaves us all a little better off and a bit smarter than before. My guest today is someone who is helping public speakers, authors and thought leaders to become the faces of their movements. Someone who has a really nice deep level understanding in how communication works and how to be an excellent presenter to understand ourselves so that we can get the best out of ourselves as well. Having spoken on TED with numerous TV appearances, a many-time author and ghostwriter even, and somebody who really knows this stuff, it has an amazing quiz which we'll tell you about a bit later on in the program too. I know you're going to love this conversation with Neil Gordon. So all I need to do is say, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that helps you to master the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business with persuasive presentations and podcasting coach, Johnny Ball. If you're a coach, speaker, or course creator and would like to have a simple online ecosystem for your business where you can create funnels, build an integrated website, sell and host courses and live programs, build your list with lead magnets, manage your sales, create communities, and so much more in a way that is affordable and fully supported, you'll love New Zendler. You can try everything out for free. And if you love it, you can register for monthly or discounted annual billing. It's more cost-effective than most other similar platforms. Don't pay for a multitude of services you have to then link up manually. Get an online solution that does everything you need in one place. Find the link in the show notes and try New Zendler as the all-in-one solution for your business today. 
Welcome to Speaking Influence, and I'm very happy today to be joined by an expert guest who is Neil Gordon. He's here to talk to us about how we can become better speakers, be less afraid of speaking, know what kind of speaker we are. There are different kinds of speakers, and it's good to know which one you are. And also, we're going to talk about something very special he has to offer for us as well a bit later on. But let me first of all welcome Neil Gordon to the show. Thank you very much for having me here, Johnny. Thank you for coming on, Neil. It's really great to be speaking with you, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Before we get into all of that, though, I'd like to get a sense of view of somebody who you see in your life or in the world as being a great example of influence, someone who's maybe been an influence on you or someone who perhaps is a good example of someone who uses influence very well. Yeah, I'm really nuts about Dan Pink's TED Talk on the puzzle of motivation that came out in the late 2000s. It's one of the most popular talks on the TED site. It's, I guess it's got tens of millions of views at this point. And the thing that really stands out for me about that talk, it's less about the topic and more about how he delivers it. And that at several points throughout the talk, he talks about how there's a mismatch between what science knows and what business does. And he mentions it several times and it's Ted. So it's like an 18 minute talk Yeah. and about 12 minutes in two thirds of the way in, he finally reveals the big idea that the secret to high performance is not rewards and punishments, but that unseen intrinsic drive to do things because they matter. And so he hits a lot of buttons in terms of what I feel makes a truly influential, persuasive kind of talk. But one of the things that stands out most of all is that he doesn't just say the thing at some point in the talk, he builds up to it with a mystery. Yeah, He says several times leading up to that 12 minute mark that there's this mismatch. And that's actually really affected how I've helped people. Cause I really like helping people to plan a mystery early on in a talk as well. Not always, but sometimes a mystery can really be quite powerful for drawing yeah. an audience in. I like the sound of that. I'm going to check it out. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone in the audience who wants to check that out as well. Okay, great, yeah. great answer. So yeah. one of the things that I noticed from taking a look around or, on your website and doing a bit of uh, research before we spoke today was yeah. that you do a great job in helping communicators communicate better, helping people who are maybe already speaking and maybe competent become even more powerful in what they do, which is exactly what I love helping people to do as well, or they may be right. in a slightly different way to yourself. Of course. So you you have a very clear passion about words and, and meaning and the power that's within things like stories and communication. At what yeah. point did that start to translate into the speaking world? Much later on, actually, Johnny, in that when I went on my own after only a few years at Penguin, the book publishing company, right? That's where I worked. And after only a few years, I left and I was mostly just working on books. The speaking transition happened more organically in that a couple of times because of my approach to messaging and how I help people with their books, what I found was that I could also just casually help someone with their speaking. So if someone I had worked with in another capacity suddenly needed to speak, I would help them out to figure out what to say. And then there would this be this night and day transformation. And there was hardly any work at all involved. And so my affinity for speaking was mostly based on the fact that I could help somebody in as little as an hour. I mean, I prefer to have more time with them, but I could have a profound impact on how they're showing up as a speaker in a way that would take a lot more time and 
effort and labor, frankly, to help them with a book because a book is just this big, huge thing that you take on. Whereas yeah. if I can in just an hour, a handful of hours, help someone to completely make over the presence as a speaker, that's a career worth having to me because the impact is just as profound for that, but just with a lot less time. Was it the same kind of insights then that took you into the publishing world that you came and applied to speaking as well, or, or was it some, were there some differences there? The way that the language and the content takes shape is very similar, but the process, I look at my time in publishing as kind of an apprenticeship and that I just had no idea what I was doing. I remember one time there were this, these things that we, in our company called book briefs or title information sheets. And what it was, was that the editorial staff would write up these one page things about the book that they were then presenting to the sales force. And the sales force could just have this one simple thing that they could just look at. And I was just, I treated it literally like a title information sheet at first. And that I was just filling in the gaps and I hated working on book briefs or title TI sheets or whatever they were called. And I hated working on them because it was just this information dump. And it wasn't until the very end of my working at Penguin after a few years, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't about providing information. This is a tool of persuasion. And that coupled with how I started to get a reputation for, I'm a former theater major in college. And so I got really animated and goofy and zany in my presentations to the sales force, which really needed a breath of fresh air, quite frankly. Yeah. And so it started to come together at the very end of my time there that this isn't just about providing information. This is about persuading others of the value of a concept or an idea or content. And because it happened at the very end, and I just didn't want to be in corporate America anymore, the larger question around what is it that makes something persuasive started to take shape in the early years of me being a freelancer. And then within five or eight years of leaving Penguin, I started to formulate more of a scalable idea that I could teach others and show up on, on like speaking influence and talk about and, and have something of intrinsic value to share, hopefully of intrinsic value to share with others. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I see parallels with some of my own journey yeah, there and, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and some, of the, some of the experiences that I've had. I, I definitely come from a bit of a performance background as well yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and bring a lot of that. I see a lot of people perhaps in the speaking world who do maybe have that frustrated performer side of them that comes out and gets to come and shine on the spotlight still when, the, when you take to the stage. But one of the reasons why I started this show was initially to be talking about public speaking mm -hmm. and it was then going to be sprinkled with the influence and persuasion stuff that I'm just personally very, very interested in. Now, but of course, these things go hand in hand. They are fairly inseparable. That even though the show is much more strongly focused on the influence and persuasion, public speaking is still such a critical part of influence and persuasion mm -hmm. that we can't, we couldn't really separate them. It, it's such an integral part now uh, and, and always really has been. And one of the things you said on, on your site, which I, which I really liked, is that it's no longer enough just to be a competent speaker. So what do you mean by that? And why do you say that? Because I know what I perhaps would mean by that, but what do you mean by it's no longer enough to be a competent speaker? You could come along and fairly generically convey, move people emotionally with some story or some inspirational kind of thing that 
I remember seeing a public speaker when I was a senior in high school and they took us, it was part of the senior enrichment program. And he seemed like a lovely man. And he told stories about and the fact that I remember it now actually says something about his competence in and of itself. But he tells the story of Macy, of the, the Macy store, department store. He, he just wanted to do a dry goods store and failed at it four times before the fifth store actually worked. And he told these stories and, and were, were, he was pretty, that, that's all actually I remember from what he said that day. But the larger point that he made is all these years later kind of lost on me because it was more of just a motivational thing in and of itself. Whereas, and so he was very capable. And like I said, I remember a story he told. And I mean, that was what, 26 years ago now. But instead of just being good at speaking and being competent in that way, what we ultimately need are experts who can solve problems that the audience specifically needs to solve. And so there's a difference between being a capable speaker and being an expert who delivers specific value around solving a problem in perhaps a way that wasn't solvable prior to hearing that speech. And so that expertise coupled with competent speaking to me is the, the one-two punch. That's, that's the thing that we want to strive for, that you could have some really inspirational stories to share, but if it doesn't ground the audience in a way to solve a specific problem in their life that they care about solving, then it's going to have, it's not going to have no value at all. It's just going to have less, decidedly less than what it could potentially have in today's times. Yeah. I, it's interesting to me. I sometimes come across people who think that it's okay to wing it in the public speaking world. And I do okay. I just wing it. I don't practice i don't mm. do all this study yeah. and stuff like that and, and i personally think that that's a shame as I, i'm not saying can't still be a good speaker and just improvise and, and wing it every time you go out on stage right but i do think you could be a much better speaker if you have tools and techniques and practice under your belt as well so i think that perhaps even though the ability to wing it might actually be doing yourself and your audience a disservice in terms of what you ultimately end up delivering. If you could go from being a, a good speaker to being a fantastic speaker who people remember like maybe for the rest of their lives and stay a, a lifelong fan, that's potentially a huge difference. And so I think that seems to be one of the things that you work with people, helping people on. I mean, how powerful is the public speaking industry now? I mean, is it still something that's worth going into for people? What I've found from the clients with whom I worked before the pandemic started is that there was a need to adapt to a virtual model. Of course there was. But for those who really have dialed in their message and are very clear on the value they provide, I have one thinking of one client now and she was making considerable money per speech and the amount per speech has gone down, but she was also traveling around the world to give those speeches. And so in any given week, she could do three, four keynotes in a way that she couldn't have, she could only have done one if she was traveling halfway around the world that week. And so financially, it might actually even be better for this particular client I'm thinking of. But to circle back to your original question, Johnny, the larger point I wanna make is that when there is that kind of value, there is a tremendous opportunity. 
It's just a matter of conveying that. Obviously, marketing is always going to be an important part of something like this. But for the savvy marketer, there's going to be a tremendous demand because no matter what, if you can take a message and scale it to an audience of 100,000 or 5,000 people all at once, the amount of value you create in that 20, 30, or 45 minute period of time is infinite. I mean, the ripple effect of a powerfully de delivered speech, especially given the emotionally turbulent nature of our times right now, is not only is there a really good vibe to like, is there a great opportunity to help people in this way? But as a number of my clients' experiences have demonstrated, there's great financial opportunity as well. Yeah. I, I believe that. And I think the industry has, has a lot of potential for those who really stand out and do well. If someone finds that that's something they want to do and they don't really know how to get started, they think they could do a great speech and mm -hmm. they're wondering, well, okay, I, I can get up on a stage. I have no problem with that. I could do a virtual platform. How do they actually get started in getting onto stages where they can get paid? What, what advice would you maybe have for them? I find that, I mean, this is a tricky question. I also want to be transparent with you, Johnny, that I often refer people for really more foundational strategies, like for, for positioning oneself, because my focus winds up being more on getting the message to where it needs to be and sure. delivering it in a way that just leads to all these other opportunities just because it's so profound and everything. That being said, what I find is a really good starting place is to just try to get out and do a few basic speeches for whether it's a rotary type of club or it's a like a provisors networking group. It's like these are places that have people coming in as speakers and it invariably leads to when I do like a provisors thing, for example, it leads to either someone wanting to be my client or the most recently, and I'm cur currently in talks with people. I just gave a provisor's talk last week and somebody wanted to bring me in and hire me as a speaker to speak to members of their staff to help them solve a problem. And it's going to be married with not just speaking, but also some consulting as well. But start with getting some getting, finding some free opportunities, using your network to say, okay, I'm looking to get this talk out to people. And that will just start to organically lead to some paid opportunities. If you're looking for an even more ambitious thing, then it is a matter of doing some kind of outreach to decision makers at companies and saying, introducing yourself, building some value and putting yourself on the radar and being willing to build that over time and follow up and build a relationship because six months from now or a year from now or something like that, they might say, oh, I have the person for this. And it's just building the network in that way, which I admit is kind of a stumbling block for me because I don't want to really do that sort of thing right now. Sure. And so I, I build my audience and my following in other ways, but there's no doubt that that would be effective. Yeah, absolutely. For, for those people then who may be already on their journey, may, maybe they're either as a becoming a professional speaker or just mm -hmm. using speaking as part of their general platform for yeah. becoming more more known as many people are and especially in leadership positions i think is considered an essential part of leadership to be mm -hmm. able to present yourself well 
what is then the difference? What are the criteria or things you would expect to see between someone who's a good or competent speaker to someone who is a great speaker, unmissable speaker? What, what are the differences? What a lot of speakers do that I find to be a huge error, a huge mistake, is they think that their value as a speaker is based on the amount of information they provide. They get up there, let's say it's a corporate executive and they have 20 minutes to talk to their team or something like that. And they're saying they provide like five things that they're going to need to focus on for the next quarter. All right. And it's just this massive brain dump, right? That is a well-meaning, but highly misguided way to look at being truly great as a speaker. Your value isn't based on how much information you provide, but how much you convince others that change is possible. People are empowered not by knowledge, not by that which they know is true, but rather that which they believe is possible. And so that belief, if you at the end of 20 minutes don't get across all this information, but convince them that they can do something over the next three months, this is our goal. And this is going to be the secret sauce to achieving that goal. And now over the next couple of weeks, we're going to figure out the specifics. We're going to work out the strategies together on how to make that a reality so that three months from now, we are looking at this whole quarter as the game changer. But the leader is truly excellent when they plant that seed of possibility, because what is it that's going to get them to actually do the work and to think critically and to show up wholeheartedly in this entire three-month process, it's the belief that they can do it. And that's going to be what fuels them. And so good speakers inform, but absolutely great speakers empower. And that's it really what said, it comes down to. Yeah, yeah. It, it was said like in, in more ancient times, even that public speaking has always been considered one of those things that people in leadership get taught, even now in the world of politics, world of yeah. law, public speaking is still very much a critical part of what people have to learn. Yeah. And, and it has been for centuries. And so you can go back to like ancient Rome, ancient Greece, you know, we, we know that there was this difference between like the, the sophists and, and the orators, the sophists who were like the performers, the yeah. people who could really entertain people and get a, right. a crowd excited and the orators who ha were, had impassioned messages. And, and there's that side or that element of wanting to be either someone who's entertaining people or wanting to be someone who actually changes people and creates transformation in mm -hmm. some way. Now, mm -hmm. I like to think we could have a bit of both. We yeah. can have a bit of entertainment and we can still go for the transformations with people. And I like that what you're saying about really giving them the ability to believe that something is possible for themselves. As a speaker or as someone who's presenting that, how do you start to construct that kind of message? We'll return to the show in just a few moments. Like me, you have a message to share with your audience, and it's important. In fact, it could change their lives. But first, you need to be very clear about two things. Exactly who are you trying to help, and what can you offer them that no one else can? Because it all starts there, and it's all about your brand. Brandface sponsors this podcast and they help people just like you to define, develop and display a brand that positions you as an authority. It's time to make sure you stand out. Find out more at learnaboutbrandface.com. That's learnaboutbrandface.com. Now back to speaking influence. Back when I was still living, I live in New York City now, but when I lived in Los Angeles, I was 
doing some volunteer work at a children's hospital with a cool program that gifted books to kids and sent volunteers like me to read to them bedside and everything. And one day I came in for my shift and the supervisor, who was the founder of the program with all of these books, was really flustered. And when I was talking to someone else at the, someone else who was working there about it, it's like, oh yeah, she has a 10 minute presentation to give and she's kind of dreading it right now. So I went over to her. I said, hey, would you like some help with that? She's going to be speaking to employees of companies that sponsor the hospital or something she meant to share about the program because it's a unique program. And so it's a selling proposition for the hospital. And so I went over to her. I said, would you like some help? And she said, yes. And we figured out what she was going to say as a departure from what she usually said. And because usually the reason she was dreading is people were like glaze over while she was speaking and they would just politely clap at the end. She's like, I don't even know. I'm boring the pants off these people. I don't know what I'm even doing up there kind of thing. But this time I sent her off to give her 10 minute presentation. And rather than glaze over, they were held wrapped at attention from the moment she started speaking. And by the end, instead of just politely clapping, they rushed up to her with business cards. And one of them even invited her to apply for a grant. And the whole conversation we took that day, that morning was two minutes long, Johnny. Two minutes, we completely transformed her presence as a speaker. Now, how did we do it? What I haven't told you yet is that there was something we did prior to that day that enabled me to help her in so little time. And what it was is we figured out how to encapsulate that entire, that entire program that she had developed for 16 years at that point down to a single sentence, a secret sauce-like sentence that captures the very essence of what makes the program unique, special, and valuable. And so because I had that clarity with her, because she had, she had appeared on TV a couple of weeks prior to that. So we had had a consult about figuring out that sentence. And so this was just icing on the cake, basically. It's just, well, we already know what we need to get across. So I'm going to teach you how to do that right now in two minutes kind of thing. And I called this sentence, the silver bullet. What it is, is a sentence that has shown up. You mentioned ancient Greece just now, right? We've seen, we've seen examples of a silver bullet like sentence from, from Socrates and Aristotle and even Sun Tzu over in China around the same time and the top TED speakers. And when you read a book on the Kindle and you see certain passages that have been highlighted thousands of times from the best-selling books, it's often this silver bullet like thing. It's this one sentence that simply says, when we take one, this one action, we get this outcome. And so Socrates said, all of wisdom begins in wonder. So to get the outcome of wisdom, you take this simple action of having more wonder in your life. Wonder leads to wisdom, right? So action leads to outcome. And then with Sun Tzu, the art of war, he says on line 18 of the first chapter, all of warfare is deception. Deceive your opponent, that's the action, then you will win the war. That's the outcome, right? And, and Aristotle's is a bit more elaborate, but he says, the aim of art is not the outward appearance of things, but rather its inward significance. So to have valuable art, you focus on its inward significance, right? Outcome, action, right? So again and again and again, we see this basic formula. Dan Pink, I mentioned his puzzle of motivation thing. And two thirds of the way into, into his talk, he says, the secret to high performance is not rewards and punishments, 
but that unseen intrinsic drive to do things because they matter. So all of these different things have shown up over the years. And for my, my client at the hospital, we distilled her entire program down to three words. Literacy can heal. So she built up in that 10 minutes that one idea, and then they rushed her afterwards. And so that's the game changer. That's what makes, gives you, instead of just having this good talk where there's a lot of good content, it was like, oh, I really like that wisdom and wonder guy or that deception and warfare guy or, or that, that literacy can heal thing is really powerful. Whatever it is, that's what people take away is that one big lightning bolt moment. Yeah, that nutshell statement that, that sums the whole thing up. That, that's how important it is. Wow. And that, that's amazing. So this is, I, I remember looking at, at some of your information earlier and, and stuff about the silver bullet. And I was, I was really yeah. hoping we'd get to it, get yeah. to talk about that. But that's really a, a sense of how powerful it is and how such a small thing can make such a big difference to everything, as, as is often the way in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I, I, I learned, I learned something new about myself today. Neil and I learned that I learned that I'm an owl. Yes. yes. So can can you tell me uh, or tell, tell the audience really what what an owl is in relation to what you talk about uh, and what other animals we might be as well? All right. So that we have context for our listeners, Johnny, you found out that you are an owl on a speaker quiz that I have on my website, and That's so right. the speaker quiz is meant to help people to overcome, essentially to overcome imposter syndrome and overcome the kind of things that many different speakers tell themselves when they see someone like who's larger than life, like wrote, like Tony Robbins or someone who's just super clever and funny, like the late great Ken Robinson, who has the top Ted talk of all time. They see these people doing like cracking all these jokes or being super huge, big, like enormous presence on stage kind of thing and think, oh, I'm just more of like a, I'm just kind of a nerdy kind of person. I don't tell jokes and I don't have this, I'm kind of shy or I'm an introvert or whatever it is. I'm not really like that. I don't know if I should, could be a speaker because I'm, I'm, I just, I'm not like these other people I see. And what I teach people as a tip is how to really dazzle or captivate your audience in the first seven 15 seconds of your speech. And what most people do is they just go, oh, it's so nice to be here. Thank you so much. It's, and this is specifically around like live speaking, right? As we're returning to that more and more as things start to open up. And that squanders the tension at the beginning of a talk in, in a room with all these people, you say, you just dispel the tension that's there. And so what I really want people to do is just stand up and be there in front of the audience and just start a story or do a puzzle or do a game or something like that. Like the first words out of your mouth, seriously, the very first words, please give me a, join me in giving a round of applause to Johnny. And then you come out on stage and you just start with like a favorite, my a favorite example of mine is a client of mine who I taught just to start with a really powerful story about her friend. She said, a longtime friend of mine didn't know what to do. Okay. So the tip is just to start right away with your talk. Now, how does that relate to the quiz and being an owl and imposter syndrome? That could actually be kind of daunting to harness that tension in such a, such a deliberate way. And so what the speaker quiz does is it teaches you which one of five different types 
you are, five different animal metaphors, basically, to play to your strengths so that the first words out of your mouth or other parts of the speech too, but the first words that that's such a, such a money tip, right? Just to just start off with such a bang. Like my, my client at the children's hospital did that. Part of what I had her do is just start with a story. And that's why they were captivated instantaneously. So the different speaker types are all playing to a certain strength, whether you are very theatrical. And so you could be the bird of paradise. The bird of paradise is just this very theatrical over the top kind of choreographed kind of thing to, to mate with the female basically. And so there's a theatricality in that and there's theatricality in the bird of paradise speaker. Then there's the elephant. Elephants are these majestic creatures who have often by humans been beaten into submission. Like they've had their spirits broken and been very traumatized. And there's a softness and a gentleness to them and a vulnerability. And often there are speakers who are just, they've often been through a lot and there's a vulnerability and they just, they feel kind of shy, but they can find a very tender story to tell in those opening moments. That's actually quite captivating. And then there's the monkey who is the mischief maker, the person who likes to mess with people and steal stuff. Like a monkey will steal your sunglasses to misdirect you. So as to, so that you, and then we'll barter. I've seen like monkeys do this. They take your sunglasses and say, you give me that food and then I'll give you back your sun or I'll drop the sunglasses and all that kind of thing. And this happens. And so there's a misdirection there. And so, so a monkey type speaker will just tell a story that's not true. And just to mess with their audience, Tim Urban is got a very famous Ted talk. He says, none of that story is true. I just wanted you to think I was amazing kind of thing. And so it's just really funny. And so then there's the owl that you mentioned, which is the more intellectual type, the cerebral type, not many owls put it this way, Johnny owls will start talking about the different types of people who were known in ancient Greece, right? It's like, <laughs> you have all of this wonderful information. And so the struggle of many, I'm not saying this is you, but many owls will just do the show up and throw up. They will just provide so much information because they know so much. And so the, the work is to play to their kind of teacher-like abilities and to provide like a, to do a game with them or a little simulation, like some kind of a thing, kind of thing like that. The, the really good elementary school teachers or grammar school teachers would do with us when we were younger and just find these fun, creative ways to do things. Adults don't need that any less. Like I, I wish that my high school teachers, my secondary teachers were just as ambitious and creative with how to teach things anyway. So there are all those different things. And then the fifth type is the chameleon, which is a combination of these other different types, which is also what I want people to strive for. They adapt, they change their, they change for the audience. And so they become more of adept at all the different speaker types and conform to the needs of any given audience in the moment. So, yeah. so that's what I strive for in myself as well. Yeah, the flexibility part is super important there. Yeah. And I say I don't really strive for that myself. From your own quiz, then, what was your type other than heading towards the chameleon? What, what was I'm, your a, I'm a bird of paradise as well. Like I'm a bird of paradise <laughs> heading toward the chameleon because, I, you know, theater major. I mean, what I've spared our listeners to this point is like my ridiculous Scottish accent. I mean, you're from the UK. I don't want to embarrass myself too terribly much, <laughs> but like I'll use any excuse to break out into my, my terrible Scottish accent, just to, uh, just because I think I love, I love the Scottish accent above all things kind of thing. And so, or just doing Monty Python impressions or clearly I'm an Anglophile and a Scottophile. Right. And so, 
This has been a real delight talking to you, by the way, Johnny, just because everything you say sounds like you're from the UK. So anyway, so, so, uh, you know, when I was at the hospital, I would read Roald Dahl books and it's like, is Mr. Willy Wonka really the most clever chocolate maker in all the world? It's like, oh, he's the most, I mean, I just love that stuff. And so I can bring that into my stories without even blinking. So yeah, I love playing with accents and voices and stuff like yeah, that. It, it makes stuff a, a lot more entertaining. And uh, one, one of the things I think I, I used to be very, very self-conscious about doing any of that kind of stuff, even having done like drama and theater and yeah, stuff. Of at course. When, it, when I was getting on the stage kind of to speak and to be myself, I had to really push past all of it. Felt like real obstacles of getting out of my own way and just being okay with having that range of flexibility and going where you need to go to not for yourself, but for the benefit of the audience, to, for yeah. the benefit of yeah, the story, yeah, yeah. for the message. It has to become about that thing that's much greater than just your what you want for yourself or your own inhibitions. And I think that's what got me out of it, is recognizing there was something greater than just, that was worth pushing through for, that was worth getting to the other side for. Mm-hmm. And, and I do believe that, and I believe that everyone can. Not that everyone has to become the most super charismatic speaker in the whole world, but right. that everyone has the potential to be more than they are and to have greater diversity and mm-hmm. flexibility in their presenting mm-hmm. and speaking stuff. So I find that super, super important. Yeah. What What do you think most people really need to, to get? What's the one thing you're like, if you could teach everybody just one thing that you make sure that if you get this, you're, you're on your way. What, what do you think that is? A couple of years ago now, I unfortunately lost my father and I was to eulogize him at his funeral. And when you have me as a son and you're going to do a eulogy for your father kind of thing, like th- th- I was going to really step up my game to make sure I really showed up for dad in that moment. And frankly, for the people who were there at the funeral to hopefully help them understand him in an interesting way. And I started the, sto- the eulogy with a story about a trip I went to the supermarket with him when I was a kid. And there was this big open vat of jelly beans right there among the produce and everything. And you're supposed to scoop it into the bag and pay for it by the pound kind of thing. And he said, hey, jelly beans. And he just went and took the jelly beans and started eating them without paying for them. And it was both hilarious and mortifying at the same time. And so I start telling the jelly bean story at the beginning of the eulogy and his sister, my aunt, who's like, I mean, just picture like a warm, but very much the embodiment of, of like a, a Jew from Brooklyn kind of thing. I mean, I adore my aunt and it's just like, she's just got that, that kind of New York kind of quality. And so I started telling the jelly bean story and from the front row, she blurts out, that's the story you're going to tell. <laughs> And I didn't miss a beat. I didn't, I I just soldiered on with my jelly bean story. But the larger point I made, Johnny, was that he was a teacher. His career was in teaching and he was often given the, the problem kids, the kids we would consider delinquents, the ones who got into trouble and stuff and were at risk of leading a pretty depraved life. And what he was supposed to do is treat them like delinquents, but he wanted to treat them like stars. So like with the jelly beans, he was supposed to pay for them, but he wanted to eat them. My dad was a person who just did things not because he was supposed to, but because he wanted to. And so his life becomes a reminder of not just doing the things we're supposed to do, but rather doing the things we want to do. 
And by the end of the eulogy, my aunt was no longer credulous over the jelly bean story. She had a kind of a warm, teary smile. And she even called me the following week and said, hey, I just really appreciated what you said about him. And I mean, she had known him his entire life, older sister, and just appreciated her brother in a new way. And so the original question you asked me was, if I'm paraphrasing now, but just like, what's one thing to take away that you're on your way? And it's really to remind everyone that the value of your speaking or your message in general isn't based on what you say, but rather what your audience does once you're done saying it that that really is gonna be the thing they get. I got her to go from being incredulous over the thing to actually really reflecting powerfully on her own brother in a way she hadn't done in 74 years. That's something truly powerful. This yeah. is not about what we say, it's about what they do. And this is, this is really what I want our audience to, to really reflect on. That's quite magical. I love, love the story as well. Thank you for yeah. sharing that with of us, course. appreciate it. Of course. One thing that I think people at this stage are thinking, they've got some value to take away. They've got some ideas and things that they can use, which is always what I like to get from, from the show. So yeah. like, for me, it's a sign of a, a good show. And people may be thinking, how can I come and find out more about Neil? I was like, I want to know more about the silver bullet. I want to know, I want to find out what my, what my animal is. Yeah, <laughs> how, yeah, 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 yeah. How can they come and find out more about The easiest place to find everything is, of course, my website, neilcanhelp.com. And at, right there on the homepage, you'll see the quiz and you can get into the quiz and you can take it and find out what animal you are for sure. I, I think it's worth doing. I had fun taking the quiz as well and finding yeah. out my animal and you get a nice video afterwards to explain it to you yeah. as well, which is also yeah. very helpful. Uh, and thank you for that. Now you also, we spoke before we started recording today that you also have an offer for the audience here as well. So let's tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So we were talking earlier about how to truly captivate one's audience in the first seven seconds, right? And so what I've just put together in that hot off the presses kind of way is a super, a super easy way to figure out what to do in those first seven seconds. And so what it is, is how to master the first seven seconds of your talk for $7, $7 American. And so it's just meant to be this kind of easy way to do it. And what it comes with is a swipe file with 104 different opening lines of a talk. And they're all organized by the different speaker types, the, the different five animal types. And so that winds up being just the way, so you get a little training on how to, how to really just start. I mean, it's the same tip that I shared already. It's just like, don't go, oh, thank you so much for being here and all that, but rather just delve right into it. But then this gives you 104 different ways you can try. And so you can take the quiz and use that with the product to to figure out the the best way forward, or maybe you want to borrow someone else's. Like it doesn't, you don't have to stay with your animal. You can just do whatever you want. And it also provides a little extra video, a little bonus video on how to adapt that technique to virtual talks as well. Oh, cool! So you can be more chameleon as well with with exactly. that tool. It sounds like exactly. you packed a lot a lot of value in there as well. And I hope that that's the idea. Will, I, I want yeah. this to be a no brainer for folks, right? Yeah, I hope people will go and show that. I'm certainly interested myself. I want to know that too. So. Yeah. One thing that I always like to ask every guest is for not just their own resources and recommendations for what they have to offer, but also for recommendations for books and resources that maybe you think would be beneficial for people to check out. Now, it doesn't have to be to do with what we talked about. It could be yeah. just some a book that's had a big impact on you or uh, a resource that you think is very vital for people to have. But what, what would be your recommendation? I love the book 
Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. Because what I feel, what this book, like back in over 20 years ago, Malcolm Gladwell wrote The Tipping Point. And he talks about the stickiness factor, how to get something to really stick in people's minds. And what Chip and Dan did in the late 2000s was take that concept. And they speak of Malcolm Gladwell's book in their book. And they've codified the entire, like this whole, like six different ways to get your ideas to stick. One of them is simplicity. And so the silver bullet actually codifies one of their concepts. So it goes even deeper in one of their things. But then they have five other things that they talk about. I just feel it fits into what we were talking about with Dan Pink's stuff around mystery and all that. There are all these great ways to look at conveying your ideas in a way that really sticks. Because that's ultimately what this is about. It's getting things to stay with our audience so that they make something of it, that do something of value with it. Yeah, yeah, I've still got in my head the story of the pig swimming to the island that starts that starts off in that book. <laughs> I think it's uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a great book, and you're in good company. I've had a, a few people uh, recommend that book over the years of this show as well. Fantastic, a uh, great book, and, and one of my personal recommendations as well. I love it. One thing that we wanted to wrap things up with is just to give people uh, if it's what you most hope people will take away from having tuned into this episode from this conversation we've had. Well. Ultimately, what I see a lot of people doing is using communication as a way to manipulate others to their own end. And we see that in all different things. We see it in marketing and sales. We see it in politics. We see it in so many different things. And I truly believe that communication can be an act of service. And what is most essential to all of this work is the idea that effective communication values the recipient over the sender. And so to be effective as a communicator is not just going to get you what you want in life, but it's also perhaps even more profoundly going to be an act of service to others. And the simplest way to do that is just to basically show up in curiosity, to be actively curious about the way you've been with me this entire time we've spoken, Johnny, which I've appreciated, of course, to be actively curious about the other person that's in front of you. That'll get us going. I think that's a great thing for everybody to take away and have in their minds as we wrap things up for today. But Neil Gordon, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for coming and being guest on Speaking Influence. Thank you very much for having me, John. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show and that there's been something that you can find value from and put into action. Maybe it's taking Neil's quiz or maybe checking out some of the other things that we talked about. Now, if you found value in the show, then there's a very good chance that your friends and network will too. Please consider the price of admission for the show to be sharing it out with your network. It really helps us to grow and makes a big difference to the show. Also, there's a very good chance you're listening to the show on a device, maybe a pad, maybe a mobile, whatever method you're using to listen. If you have your device in your hand right now, If you're on Spotify, you can very simply leave us a star rating on Spotify now. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then you can simply leave us a review by visiting our page in Apple Podcasts. And we would really appreciate that. It helps other people to find the show and lets us know what we're doing well and what we could even be doing better. Next time on the show, my guest will be an amazing speaker and trainer called Robert Raymond Riopel. Now, Robert and I have something in common that we didn't even know about when we first connected, but it's a very unusual thing to have in common. 
And if you want to know what that is, you're going to have to tune into our next episode. Do go and check out some of our recent episodes as well. So we've had some amazing guests recently as well. Please do feel free to delve into our back catalogue of shows. There's lots of great information that you'll find there. And if you're interested in the world of influence and persuasion, then every week you're going to want to make sure you are subscribed because I did bring on guests who are going to add value to the conversation about influence and persuasion. So I hope you'll join me next time. I look forward to seeing you there. All that remains for me to say is wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, go and make great things happen.